a thrilling time. We're baptizing all of our services and uh, just seeing people step across the line of faith and being a part of a church that God is using not only here but around the world is a real blessing. And we're so thankful for that. Uh, you know, through the Big Give, through, uh, through this initiative, we are trying to, uh, to be strong here so that we can send there. And this is our first of three Commitment Sundays. So if you brought your gift today, then praise God for that. You can drop those in the wooden boxes as you leave. If not, if you were not prepared, then you're in luck. We have two more opportunities next Sunday and the following Sunday for you to get involved and get uh, get in get in touch with this initiative and to and to have an opportunity to give to what God is doing. You know, anytime there is great opportunity, there is also great opposition. Did you know that? Opportunity and opposition often go hand in hand. The Apostle Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9. He said, a wide door of effective ministry has opened for me, yet many oppose me. Opportunity and opposition often are two sides of the same coin. And I believe that's true in your life personally. Anytime that you want to search forward and you want to walk with God and God's giving you an opportunity to do something for him, you're going to face opposition. I think it's true in the life of every church. Every church that wants to strive forward, to advance the kingdom, to make disciples, to be a part of what he's doing around the world, there will be opposition both outside and inside. Uh, and that was certainly the case with Nehemiah. We've been studying in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah also faced great opportunity, but he also faced great opposition. And I want us to look at that today. So if you got your Bible, I want you to open it up to Nehemiah chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today, Nehemiah chapter 4. Now while you're turning, let me just kind of set the stage again. Nehemiah was a high-ranking Persian official that was a Jew. And when he heard the word that the rebuilding efforts in Jerusalem had failed, that Israel still remained in ruins, that the wall was still in rubble, that his heart was torn to pieces, that he was, that he had what we call a divine discontent. He couldn't just sit by and allow that to continue. And so he made a decision to join God in this rebuilding effort. He made a decision to leave his posh position, his position that was lucrative and prominent and quite safe and to travel to Jerusalem and to really put his life on the line, to put everything on the line to lead the rebuilding effort in Jerusalem. Last time we saw Nehemiah, he had traveled to Jerusalem. He had gone out on a midnight ride around the perimeter of the wall and he had seen that Sure enough, it was as bad as what had been reported to him. And then he gathered the leaders together and he cast the vision. Let's rise up and build. And they were like, yes. And so they began to do the work of rebuilding the wall. But when you get to chapter 4, what you see them hitting head on is opposition. In fact, in chapters 4 through chapter 6, what we find here, get this, are the tactics that the enemies of Israel used to try to stop them from the work of God. The tactics. Did you know that we have a spiritual enemy? Do you know that you have a spiritual enemy? Uh, Jesus talked about, I saw Satan fall. There's an enemy of the church 
we're warned in the scripture, 1 Peter, that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he has tactics and schemes and strategies against you. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And so just like an army needs to know its enemy and know his enemy's tactics and strategies to be able to counter them, we need to be aware. We don't need to be ignorant of the schemes of Satan to stop the church of God from advancing the kingdom of God. And so what we're going to look at today are the tactics that the enemy uses to stop you from doing the work God has for you. And so what I want to give you, you've taken those three tactics Satan uses to stop you from fulfilling God's purpose. All right, Nehemiah chapter four, are you with me? Say amen. All right, if you're taking notes, jot this first thought down. The first tactic is this, harassment, harassment. We're gonna see this in chapter four, verse one. This is the word of God. When Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and he mocked the Jews before his colleagues and powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Right? That's called trash talk, people. That's what that is, right? Here is Samballot. Samballot is uh, the leader of the Samaritans, one of the neighboring uh, countries. And they're trash talking. Listen, listen, harassment is a language of the devil. He loves to harass God's people. He loves to mock God's people. He loves to talk down God's people. To harass simply means to uh, disturb, to bother, uh, to torment. It also means to demean to talk down to, to make fun of. Think about Goliath mocking the armies of Israel, right? He knew how to do it. Think about those that mocked the Lord Jesus when he was interrogated and in his trials, he was mocked. Even on the cross, they were mocking him. If you're the son of God, then come down. You saved others, save yourself. It was this mocking. All that is a language of Satan to mock and to talk down and to demean the people of God. Sam Ballot was one of those that did just that. In fact, he was the one that led the effort to stop the rebuilding project earlier. They had begun before, and and neighboring nations began to cry out to the king of Persia to halt the rebuilding project. Samballot was one of those key leaders that had the project stopped. And now they're starting it up again, and he's like just mocking them, making fun of them, trash talking. Oh, it's what they're going to build. They're going to offer sacrifices here? Get real. Uh, They're going to build a wall? No way. These pathetic Jews, they can't do anything right. And then Tobiah, the Ammonite in another neighboring country, he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if a fox jumped on the wall, it would fall down. Ha, 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 ha. You know, you could, just, you could just hear them mocking, right? They're just making fun. They're attacking with their words. 
You know, I, I remember seeing this up close and personal several years ago. I, I got a chance to go. This was my first NBA basketball game. I'd never been to a professional basketball game before. And this guy invited me to go uh, sit with him. I'm like, yeah, sure. I've never done it before. It'd be fun. And so when we pulled up, he said, now you're really going to like our seats. I'm like, cool. All right, that'll be great. So we walk in and then we start walking down uh, toward the floor and I'm like, oh, well, he's got some nice lower seats. And then we kept walking down. I'm like, oh, he's got like front row seats. Then we stepped down onto the court and I'm like, whoa, man. I mean, we got feet on the floor seats. I mean, this is like a whole different level of, of watching the game, the speed of it, the size of the players. I remember just being in awe of the whole thing. But I, I will never forget this game because as, as we were watching the game and it was going back and forth and man, it was, it was fast, it was aggressive. Uh, there was a guy that had lower seats, obviously season ticket holder, had these lower seats and he was probably had a little too much to drink, grant him that, right? But he would pick out this one guy on the opposing team and he would call out his name every time he came down the court. Hey! And he'd call out his name and then he would start trash talking. You're nothing. You're lousy. You're the worst. Thing. I could do better than you. You know, my mom could do better. Than I mean, every time the guy would come down, he would harass him and harass him. He's talking about his mama. He's talking about his wife. He's talking, he's talking about everybody. I'm like, wow. I'm surprised this guy doesn't run up there and give him a knuckle sandwich, right? But, but he's... He's like harassing him. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe these guys were all lined up with their armies, with their arms crossed while the people are doing the work on the wall. They're going, hey, check that guy out. What a loser he is. Uh, what are you going to do? Oh, my little fox can knock that down. You guys are nothing. Y'all are, y'all are a joke. And harassing and harassing and harassing. That's one of the attacks of the enemy. It's one of the tactics. Just to, just to make fun of you, and listen, you know, you can say, well, you know, the old saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. Uh, but the truth of the matter is the danger of harassment is when you, get, you begin to internalize it. When you begin to think, well, maybe I can't do it. Maybe it won't work. Maybe I am a joke. Listen, I see this all the time with brand new Christians. You may be here and you're a brand new Christian. And these brand new Christians come in, God's done a fresh work in your life and God, God has changed you and you've turned from your sin and you've placed your faith in Jesus and you're seeking to grow, but you still struggle with the old life, right? It's, it's a struggle that we all have. And then the enemy starts to laugh at you. you are, really, you're going to be a Christian now? Give me a break. You're carrying your Bible. You're going to go to church with all those church people. Give me a break. I know who you really are and you're just a hypocrite like the rest of them. Stop playing games. Stop being a hypocrite. Just go back to the way you used to be. That's the harassment that the enemy will constantly bombard your mind with. To try to think, make you think that you are who you used to be and not who you are in Christ now. Listen, harassment has always been one of the tactics of the enemy. It's one of the first tactics to get other people to harass you, other people to make fun of you, other people to talk down to you so that you'll quit doing what he calls you to do. Again, the only problem with harassment is when you start to believe it. When you start to, to hear the voices in your own head that say, well, maybe I'm really not a Christian. Maybe I really am faking it. Maybe I really can't change. And I want you to see how Nehemiah dealt with his harassment. Look at verse four. He said, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads. 
and let them be taken as plunder into a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. Now here's, here's Nehemiah. What's interesting is Nehemiah doesn't say, oh yeah, well, we're going to do that. You'll see. He doesn't, he doesn't ever address these people that are harassing him. He just talks to God about it, right? He doesn't talk to them. He just talks to God. And basically what he's praying is this, God, you hear what they're saying. God, you deal with them. God, you deal with them. God, really what, what they're doing is not just attacking me. They're not just attacking your people. They're attacking you, God. They're maligning you, God. They're mocking you, God. So God, you do what you need to do to execute judgment as he prays for God to intervene. Then he just simply gets back to work. Listen, you want to deal with harassment? Uh, you got to just trust God with it. You got you to to allow God to fight those battles for you and not you yourself. You don't, you don't have to give anybody an explanation for your walk with Jesus, right? You don't have to prove to anybody that you're the real thing. You don't have to, you don't have to do something externally that will make them really believe that Jesus has changed your life. You just seek God and, and do the work that God has for you. And they will ultimately see the difference in you. Harassment. One of the great dangers is that you begin to believe it. Listen, are you believing some harassing things that someone said to you? Some of you are playing tapes of things people said to you a decade ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, things a parent said to you, things a, a spouse said to you, things that, that people have said that have hurt you and you continue to replay them in your own heart and mind. You have to let that go. You got to let it go so you can walk on with God. Don't allow their voices to become your voice in your own head tactics. Number one is harassment. Here's another one. Jot this one down. Threats. Threats. Check out, um, check out verse 7. It says, when Samballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashtonites heard that the repair of the wall of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they were furious. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. Now there's a coalition forming. Now it's not just Samballad and Tobiah and a few. Now they're working together. That's what bad guys do, right? They always gather up in packs. And so now there's a coalition being formed. There's Samballad uh, with the Samaritans to the north. There's Tobiah and the Ammonites to the east. They're the Arabs uh, to the south. They're the Ashtonites. Uh, that are the Philistine uh, group through the West. They're completely surrounded. And now these people, their jokes have turned to threats. No longer are they making fun of them. No longer are they laughing at them. They're threatening them. Hey, we're going we're gonna to attack you. We're going to take you out. You're going to be working on the wall and you won't even see us coming. And we're going to cut your throat. I mean, we're going to take you out. And Nehemiah knew that these were legitimate threats. This wasn't just talk. This was for real. And so what did Nehemiah do? Well, he posted a guard so that somebody could stand guard while the rest of the men worked. In other words, they didn't stop working and everybody huddled up together and figured out what we can do. They stayed to the work while they remembered the threats and did what was prudent in the time, in the moment, to post a guard. Listen, anytime you begin to do a great work for God, uh, mocking and harassment will turn to threats. 
it's not uncommon for people who are working for God to receive threats. In fact, the reason is because you have a spiritual enemy and your real enemy is not your physical enemy. Your real enemy is your spiritual enemy. The Apostle Paul wrote this in, in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, you know where Paul was when he wrote those words? He was in prison. He was in a Roman prison. But he didn't say, well, our struggle is against the Roman uh, regime. Our struggle is against the Roman army. No, no, no. He said, my real enemy is not my physical enemy. It's the spiritual enemy behind him. Our real issue is a spiritual battle with a spiritual enemy and spiritual forces of evil in our world. And listen what, folks, uh, that is true right now, right? There are spiritual forces of evil at work in our world. You can see it in every news broadcast. You see it in every headline that comes across your phone. We are dealing with a spiritual battle. But we have a great God who goes before us, amen? I, I had the privilege of working with a lot of our church planters this week. Well, all week we worked with these church planters that you got to see them last week planters from all over the world that are there because of you. They're there because you have supported them, you have prayed for them, you have given for them to go. And they are now sharing the gospel and building churches and advancing the kingdom in some of the darkest places around the world. And as I heard them talk, I heard stories about spiritual attack. David, one of our leaders in Montreal, he said, uh, when we began to launch the church, he said, I'm not going to go into detail, but he said, we had very real demonic interactions because we were planting a church in a very dark, lost part of the world. He said, I saw it. My family experienced it. It was real. Another one of our church planters, Oscar, he said, when I went to plant this church, I was preaching the gospel and who opposed me were other religious leaders in our community that were preaching a false gospel. They were the ones that were attacking me. They were the ones making fun. They were the ones spreading lies about us. Other spiritual leaders that were preaching a false gospel. Mark, I never forget, Mark sat with me over lunch and he said, I, I've been focusing on an unreached people group in Burkina Faso. And he said, so what I've done is I've taken the gospel and I've recorded it on these little recording devices and we go around and play it for them so they can hear it in their own language. And he said, they're already people being saved and they're starting to spread these recorders to their family and friends and the gospel is going out. But because of that, the witch doctors in that area began to bring curses against us and one of them actually came to our garage and offered an animal sacrifice to spread a curse on us folks that's happening right now that's not like sometime way back in the past that's right now now why is that happening because we face a spiritual battle and that attack happens in your life that attack happens in my life that attack happens in our church and so what do we do? What do we do when we're facing a spiritual battle, when the threats of the enemy are real? Well, how do we respond to that? Well, look at what Nehemiah did. He posted a guard and he kept working. 
Now, I love, I love this. He posted a guard and kept working. What that simply means is this. He took the threat for real, and he, and he did what was reasonable. He posted a guard. You know what these disciple-making pastors need, these church planters need? They need somebody to stand guard with them. They're on the wall. They're getting the job done. They're on the cutting edge. They're the tip of the spear in very dark places around the world. And what we are called to do is stand with them. And when you give to the big give, when you pray for them, when you take them in your homes like many of you did this week, when you encourage them, when you go to their places and you prayer walk with them and you encourage them like many of you are doing, when you do that, you're standing with them. You're the guard that's posted next to them so they can stay at the work. They need you and I to stand with them, folks. The least we can do is to stand with them. Amen? But not only that, but I love what each one of these guys did. He said, uh, we realized that when we had these spiritual attacks, as sensational as they may be, that that was just the enemy trying to get us scared and the enemy trying to get us off track from the mission. So we learned a very important uh, counterattack. When we have a spiritual battle like that, we learn just to ignore them. We're not going to go, oh, no, you know, we got these witch doctors over here. What are we going to do? Right? No, we don't do that. We don't go, oh, no, we have this demonic thing happen over here. Oh, no, we have this. Uh, no, no. He said, we just decide that obviously the enemy is scared, and so we just stay at the work. I love that. They said, we don't get distracted from the work that God's called us to do. Listen, we have a spiritual enemy. You think he's going to take a church that, that is seeking to plant churches? You think he's going to take that lying down? You think he's not going to respond to that? Man, there's so many churches that would just be happy to come, sit in comfortable chairs and leave and do nothing for the kingdom. And yet when a church is fixated on the mission, Satan is going to resist that. He'll resist it with, with harassment. He'll resist it with threats. When he does... We just stay at the work. We just stay doing what God called us to do. That's what Nehemiah did. What are the tactics of the enemy? Harassment. Threats. But there's one more. This one may be the most damaging of all of them. Look, look at verse 10. It's discouragement. Discouragement. In Judah it was said, the strength of the labor fails since there's so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. And when the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. You hear it? Discouragement. They're discouraged. Discouragement is one of Satan's great weapons. If he can get you discouraged, he can get you to quit. If he can get you discouraged, he can get you to give up hope. If he can get you discouraged, you'll throw in the towel. Every person that has left the mission field left discouraged. And so discouragement is a great, great threat. And listen, anytime you fall into discouragement, you're really just agreeing with the enemy. The enemy says, you'll never make it. And you start to say, I'll never make it. The enemy says, uh, this work will never happen. And you start to say, it'll never happen. The enemy says, the, the, the challenge is too great. And you start to say, well, the challenge is too great. The enemy says, you aren't good enough. And you start to say, I'm not good enough. 
That's how we begin to ingest discouragement. And these people were facing the same thing. We can't do it. There's too much rubble. We can't do it. They'll attack us. We can't do it. Everywhere we turn, they are there. You know, it's interesting that this discouragement started with the men of Judah. And these men, if you look over in chapter 13, these were men who had begun to kind of distance themselves from God. They no longer were passionately worshiping God. They were no longer really obedient to God. They were on the drift spiritually. And here's what I found. The discouragement is most effective in your life and in my life when we are beginning to drift from God spiritually. When we start to isolate ourselves, when you start to ignore God's word, when you stop uh, gathering with God's people, when you begin to drift from God spiritually, that's when discouragement comes on you and can suffocate you. Let me ask you something. Are you discouraged? Are you facing discouragement right now? Is it possible that the reason why you're experiencing this discouragement is because you're kind of drifting from God spiritually? I want you to notice what Nehemiah did to combat this discouragement. Look at verse 13. He said, so I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So you get what he's saying? He said, okay, let's go to the vulnerable parts of the wall, the parts that could easily be breached. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay on the wall. I want you to stay working on the wall, but I want you to have a, a sword or a weapon or a spear with you. So actually what they have now is they have a tool in one hand and they have a, a weapon in the other hand. They have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. They have a, a trowel in one hand and they have a spear in the other. They're both a worker and they're a warrior and they're on the wall. He doesn't retreat. He doesn't pull them off. He says, stay on the wall, but be ready to fight. He puts them with their families. He puts them in the vulnerable areas. He gives them a weapon. And then, I just love this. All right, check this out. Then look at what he says in verse 14. And after I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. This is a brave heart moment, right? I mean, this is it. I mean, you know, stop worrying about them. Don't be afraid of them. Stand your ground and fight. Stand your ground on the wall and work. Man, if that doesn't get like the health, hair follicles standing up on your head, even a bald man, I could feel the tingle up here. He's calling them to the work and to the fight. And I, what I love about this is he's giving us a recipe for dealing with discouragement. What did he do? He gathered them with their closest people. The way that you fight off discouragement is first you gather with God's people. You gather with your family and God's family. You get other believers around you. You stop being isolated. You stop being alone. You gather with other God's people that, will, that have the same heart and the same drive that believe in you. We all need biblical community around us. You gather with God's people. And number two, he said, you, get, you pick up your weapon. You know what the sword is for the believer? It's this book right here. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the armor of God so that you can take your stand. And he said, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
That is, you take God's word, and when the enemy gives you an attack, you give it right back to him with the word of God. Isn't that what Jesus did when he was tempted? Uh, Satan came to him with a temptation, and he said, uh, it is written. He responded with the word of God. You got to have your sword in your hand. And then he said, look to God. Look to your awe-inspiring God, and then stay at the work. Stay at the work. If you're discouraged today, listen, my friends, if you're discouraged, you need God's people. That's why we, we beg you to be in groups. That's why. You need the word of God to be reminded and wash your mind with the word. And you need to cry out to God for help, but don't leave the work. That's what Satan wants, for you to leave the work. Because God's working through you for something great. Listen, these tactics are real. These tactics of harassment, of, of threats, of discouragement are real. But I just want you to see when they, when they began to huddle together and they picked up their weapons and they called on the Lord, I want you to see what happened. I love this, verse 15. And when the enemy heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. In other words, when, when the enemy saw that we weren't given any ground, when he saw that we weren't going to quit, when he saw that we weren't going to run away, when he saw that we were going to stand courageously in community and stay to the work, when he saw that, he ran away. He quit. Listen, the, 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 the enemy just wants you to stop walking with God. That's what he wants. He wants you to quit. But when you resist him, he will flee from you. This is what James chapter 4 verse 7 says. Check this out. Submit yourselves into God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The tactics. Tactics of the enemy are clear. Harassment threats, discouragement. Every church planter faces it. Every pastor faces it. Every Christian faces it. You face it. We face it. But listen, the enemy does not have to win. Every time he, the enemy attacked Nehemiah, he cried out to God and then he acted decisively. He cried out to God and he acted decisively. And what today is, is a day of decisive action. That's what today is. That's what the Big Give is all about. That's what Commitment Sunday is about. It's a day of tangible, decisive action. The question is this, folks. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that's ingrown? Are we going to be a church that's on mission? Are we going to church that talks about the Great Commission? Or are we going to be a church that accomplishes the Great Commission? Are we going to be a church that uh, thinks only of ourselves? Or are, are we going to be a church that is focused on the fields that are ripe for harvest right here and right now? You have been born in this period of time. You have been given a church right here in this place. You have been given resources and ability in your hands. What will you do with it? What kind of church will we be? I can tell you right now, and I told this in the first service, that people all around the United States are hearing about you. They hear about this little church in Colleville, right? Colleville, where is that? Uh, you know, I have to say, it's by the DFW airport, all right? Where is Colleville? I don't know. But they say, but I hear you planting churches. I hear you making disciples. I hear you training pastors. I hear you building up the body. 
man, does, out of this little church, here's, here's this great work that God is doing. That's because of you. That's because you've been faithful to give and you've been faithful to go and you've been faithful to pray. But listen, folks, we can't lean on what we've already done. We have to decide today what kind of church we will be. And then we have to decide again tomorrow what kind of church we're going to be. And the kind of church that God blesses is a church that's focused on the mission that God gives us. That's the kind of church that God blesses. And so when we gather with the big give, we're deciding what kind of church we'll be. We'll be a church that is strong here so we can always and continually send there. I love it at the very end of verse 20. This is how he wraps it up. He's got all these guys on the wall. They got their weapon. They got their tool. They're fighting. They're on the wall. They're ready to go. And he says this, whenever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there and our God will fight for us. He said, whenever we hear a real attack coming, we'll blow the horn and you just rally to that place and we'll all fight together and God will fight for us. And here's the deal. Today is the day when the horn is sounded. This is the day of the rally cry. This is the day when we say, this is what God's called us to do. Praise God we get to be a part of it. Praise God. When you stand before Jesus, you're going to get to say, God, I got to be a part of what you are doing around the world. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. So today is a day of a rally call. And it's the day that we get to answer it. And when we do, he will fight for us. Won't you bow your head with me? Just uh, in a moment of stillness, where you are, I want you just to um, seek the Lord. Say, God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I give? God, how can I go? God, how can I be a part of what you're doing? Let this be a moment of surrender. What's God saying to you? What does he want you to do? How does he want you to respond in this moment?